Hey, welcome to another edition of Talking Fußball, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I'm your host, Matt Herman, and this week we were stripped of our delusions about what is possible in the Bundesliga. Of course, FC Bayern München are going to win the league, right? With me to answer that question and quite a few others is the delightful Kit Holden. Hello, Kit. I think it's pretty spectacular to have you here, you know, this week because I am me. And Kit is Kit. We're going to have a lot on the Berlin Derby, you know, in as much as as, as the, the game merited it. Uh, we'll also be taking a look at what the Champions League might hold for the likes of Wolfsburg and Frankfurt, and not Dortmund next year, as well as what it might take to topple Bayern in the future. Here comes part one of Talking Foosball, the part where we talk about the best of the match day just gone. This was match day 27. Uh, I reckon that this was a week where a few things got settled, or, you know, very nearly anyway. FC Bayern München, they're going to win the league. Fallenfeld Wolfsburg and Eintracht Frankfurt, they're going to be in the Champions League along with this week's loser in that uh, Bayern game, RB Leipzig. And Dortmund are not. Dortmund are not going to play in the Champions League next year. And while Union Berlin are going to finish ahead of Hertha in the league, that looks pretty damn certain right now, the old lady are this season's Stadtmeister. How do you feel about that, Kit? Oh, I feel pretty pretty philosophical about that, Matt. I think it would be... Uh... It would be mean-spirited of me to, to begrudge you the, the Stadtmeisterschaft um, in the way this season has gone. Yeah, yeah. I think that is literally the best that uh, Hertha could manage in this accursed season. So uh, w- w- let's put all that Berlin Derby stuff aside and let's talk about the top teams and the not-so-top, beginning with Bayern and Leipzig. They were sort of taking each other on in Leipzig on Saturday night. It was the top spiel, although not, not the tip-top spiel, which you know, was another one. Really interesting build-up to this game, I thought. You know, you had a four-point gap. Leipzig could have cut it to one if they had won. Bayern were without Mr. Everything, Robert Lewandowski. You know, Leipzig coach Julian Nagelsmann really emphasized in the days leading up to this match how much they needed to win this game and how much they were going to go for it. Didn't want to draw. And then I think we kind of got a game that was low on fireworks. Really it was kind of a story as we've seen a lot this season. Uh, not to say that Bayern have been low on fireworks, but Bayern, they really rode their ability to convert chances that don't seem all that promising on their face, but, but, you know, made them anyway. Leon Goretzka scored late in the first half with a, a really, really nice, you know, one hit ball that I think a lot of uh, midfielders <laughs> would have struggled to score on. Turned out to be the game's only goal. Leipzig kept mostly at bay. Didn't really do enough with the fact that they had 54% possession in this game. That doesn't happen a lot. Teams playing against Bayern had a shots advantage as well. Couldn't get it done. What was missing for RB on Saturday night, Kit? Well, I think uh, anyone watching, and and certainly uh, Nagelsmann said it pretty succinctly after the game, it was... The thing that was missing was was a goal and uh, the ability to to convert chances. I mean, particularly in that second half where they, I thought they came out really impressively and and had completely the right mentality. They they were taking the fight to Bayern. They were not just playing positively, but playing well and and really pushing Bayern back, which you know not many teams can do. And they didn't have. I mean, they they didn't have so many kind of absolute 
you know, golden sitters, but they they had chances and, and they didn't really even hit the target with many of them, which is kind of unforgivable. And it's one of those things that, you know, obviously the discussion is whether they, you know, they still need a kind of proper out and out striker after after losing Timo Werner and things like that. But you kind of think with that front line, I just don't really get how how in a game like that you can't be a bit more clinical, to be honest. And then they paid for it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, that definitely is, I wouldn't say like an overriding narrative because <laughs> let's face it, they went into this game only four points off the top. They're having a very good season. But there does seem to be something a little bit less than sort of marauding about them at times. I mean, they're spreading the wealth around quite a bit this season in terms of, of who's uh, scoring goals. I think famously their top scorer at the moment is, you know, who? Danny Olmo? Or at one point in, in, in the season, it was Angelino. Nkunku is expected to chip in a little bit. You know, Sorlot got off the mark eventually, but nobody is really banging them in with regularity. There's no real sort of focal point. That has been a strength, I think, at times, because, you know, defenses have had to contend with players who have a lot of attacking ambition simultaneously coming at them from a lot of different parts of the pitch. But sometimes the blunt tip is not going to cut it, right? Yeah, I mean, I think I think you're right. I, I kind of feel this was the debate on the on the TV after the game on German TV was you know they need this you know like I say out and out striker to to replace Werner and I I kind of agree with you that it's not it's not kind of that clear cut because you look at those players you look at all those players you just you just named and it's not like they're bad finishers any of them certainly no no worse than Timo Werner and so it, it's I, I don't know it's 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 a funny thing but I wonder whether it is just a kind of at that level and in a game like that, you need a player who, you know, like Lewandowski or Haaland or whoever, who who just kind of takes it by the scruff of the neck and makes sure they're, they're hitting the target when the ball comes to them, rather than maybe thinking, okay, I'll get two chances in this game and I'll do my best with them, you know. And if everyone thinks like that, then everyone skews them wide kind of thing. But it's, it's difficult. But in the, in the end, I also just think, I mean, you saw the gap in quality between the two teams and it's not such a big gap, but it's a, a crucial gap in the sense of, like you say, Bayern get, get one chance, which doesn't look like a, a really guilt-edged opportunity and they, they bury it with, with complete precision, even without their star man and, and Leipzig get plenty and and don't use them. And, you know, that's seven points difference right there. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you know, we, we've kind of brought out the idea that missing an out-and-out striker has harmed Leipzig at times this season. Uh, there is a gap in quality. Of course, Bayern were missing their own out-and-out striker, or at least one of the top quality. I mean, let's face it, uh, Eric Maxim Chupomoting, totally capable professional footballer. You know, he's, he's scored in a Champions League semifinal. But there's something about the fact that Leon Goretzka, who I really feel has has ascended into a, an elite group of central midfielders who have a real scoring touch this season, that you look at that that strike, which was an absolute laser. I mean, it was it was a nice setup. It was you know sort of sort of put on a plate for him by Thomas Müller. And you look at the efforts from ostensibly similar players on the other side of the ball, whether you want to classify someone like Marcel Zabitzer, who had a few nice cracks from distance, as he as he is wont to do. But they didn't get it done. 
And and th- when you have somebody like Leon Goretzka on your side of the ball, sometimes it covers up certain deficiencies or covers up the fact that you don't have your best striker. Yeah, I mean that's that's just it. You know, if you if you're falling back on on players like Müller and Goretzka, then you've got a higher probability of of winning those key moments in those key games than if you're falling back on players like Zabitzer or Dani Olmo, who are who are also at the very top level, but not not that kind of Champions League winning level. And it's it's kind of a shame because you 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 kind of feel the way it was sort of framed this game and, and the way Leipzig went about it and with Bayern, you know, having a big Champions League tie coming up and not having Lewandowski, you felt the ingredients were there to to maybe, you know, just just see them wobble a little bit and, and like you say, reduce it to one point and open up the title race. But I mean that's off to them. That's you know, that's what makes them great. You know, it's not just that they're they're that much richer than everybody else and all the rest of it. It's that in those very games with very, very fine margins, they, they deliver time and again. And that's, you know, that's impressive. However, however much a lot of people don't like it. Yeah. Yeah. We are now coming up on number nine titles in a row uh, here for Bayern. I think that's caused no lack of, of frustration, consternation, confusion, Sleepless nights on the part of of other clubs in the Bundesliga, as well as uh, you know some more neutral uh, observers of the Bundesliga, in terms of its reputation globally. Is there any real recipe for a team to get over that hump? I mean, should we be looking to Leipzig for that? Should we be looking elsewhere? Are we totally off base to be as concerned about this as we are? I think it's concerning, and my my point has always been that it is a a two way process, and it's not just. Um, I mean, it is also Bayern, you know, having that much more spending power and and being that kind of you know dominant force in the league, and obviously the the you know they have a huge role to play in that. But I, I do think there's it's also to a certain extent the fault of of you know clubs like particularly Dortmund and Leipzig, who who at this stage really do have the means um, financially and in footballing terms to to beat Bayern, you know, even if it's only once every five years or whatever, to beat Bayern to the title. And I feel like there's there's almost a, a kind of, I wouldn't necessarily say lack of ambition, but a, but a, an acceptance of, of the fact that it's no bad thing to come second and perhaps also a, a, a greater concern about dropping out of the top four as Dortmund appear to be doing this season um, than there is about not winning the title. And I think that's a shame. I mean, you saw it again on, on Saturday. There was a, you know, I mean, obviously you can't say we're still in the fight when you've just lost to Bayern and you're seven points behind or seven, seven games to go. But to a certain extent, the way that they they all lined up and said, oh, the title's gone and that doesn't really matter to us anyway because our aim was to get into the Champions League. And you kind of think, well, that's, you know, I don't know, show a bit more frustration you know <laughs> you know and it's you know no one expects you to beat Bayern but that doesn't mean you have to just you know roll over when they do beat you that doesn't mean you can't be a bit more angry about it and I think that's that's part of it as well it's just there doesn't appear to be a a club who really who really want to go at them and 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 take the fight to them even if it's on the off-field stuff and the way they talk and the way they you know set up these these battles and things like that that just there isn't that spark anymore they're there normally isn't a good title race and that they used to be in, you know, years gone by, even when Bayern were obviously the favorites, you know, um, and obviously the team with more money. Yeah. I feel like this whole period, which now feels um, <laughs> like sort of 
unbroken, unformed mass of complete Bayern dominance. It's hard to believe that it's lasted nine years, although, uh, you know, we've, we've both lived through it, watching this league pretty closely. I think, uh, I think there's plenty to remember, but I think you're right when you say a lot of these teams, especially Leipzig and Dortmund, the team, the two teams that sort of have the most, uh, in terms of resources, really are kind of showing their true colors at times. I, I, I think, you know, some of those, some of those comments from Leipzig, I think that, that, that's maybe just, you know, trying to, trying to make themselves feel better or look better after the fact. But I'm, I'm thinking it, it, it seems to me it's very telling that Dortmund, who let's not forget, had every chance to win the league both last season and the season before. They had, you know, fairly decent stretches where they were either leading the league or, you know, running it very close. I mean, I don't think that the same kind of alarm bells were ringing when they failed to win the league as are ringing now when they are probably going to miss out on the Champions League. It's it definitely seems to me that you know whether or not they strictly say it that that's definitely their 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 sort of bright line that they don't want to cross is is missing the Champions League. Yeah, and I think you know people listening might think, well, that's that's natural. You know why you don't expect to, to beat Bayern to the title, but you expect as Dortmund to finish fourth, and so of course it's at least, and so of course it's it's more disastrous to drop out of the top four than it is to to finish second. But it's kind of, and that's true. But it's but it's also about when you have the chance, like you say, like Dortmund had last year and had in in uh, you know a couple of years ago, and that Leipzig have had that this season. Why do we not get the impression from these teams that they're really, really, really annoyed to have missed that chance when it's, you know, seven, eight games to go in the season? When you look at the way Bayern react, I mean, the way they reacted at full time last night, it was almost exactly the same thing that they did a year ago when they beat Dortmund in a similar game to pretty much kill the title race. And I think one 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 nil from that goal from Kimmich. And at the final whistle, you really saw that it, it mattered to them. And you wouldn't think, you know, it, it sounds a bit kind of like, silly but you wouldn't think after eight titles in a row and they've just won the treble last year and and they're pretty much expected to win it again that that winning that game would would really get them going in that way but it does and that's you know that's what you're fighting against and you've got to in some way build yourself up for that and and in that respect I kind of I, I have a bit of sympathy you know if if a player like Erling Haaland is is looking around at, at his teammates and thinking, "This is a team that's, of course, is good enough to win the Bundesliga." It's you know, it's not streets behind uh, Bayern in, on paper and in terms of the quality it has, but in those games, they're not they're not going for the throat in the same way that Bayern do, and and that's you know, when it comes down to it, when it comes down to those kind of key key games like Saturday, that's the that's the difference. Yeah, you just tipped your hand about. Dortmund and their disappointing loss on Saturday. We might as well talk about that game in more detail. This is, of course, a 2-1 win for Eintracht Frankfurt in Dortmund. Dortmund were counting on this game to help them close the gap on the Champions League places. But, you know, they were caught out. Instead, they fell further behind in that race. It's now looking like an extremely steep uphill climb for them to get back into the top four. You know, they had some moments. Mats Hummels' header late in the first half uh, leveled the score after that early own goal and, and gave them some hope that maybe they could push on and get the win that they needed. But it was uh, Andre Silva and Eintracht who who got that win with that late, late you know header squeezed in at the uh, post between Marvin Hitz and, and the upright. 
I think you started talking, Kit, about some of that, like, obsessive quality that a player like Erling Holland you see in him, which I think some of that stuff can be read as petulance or as a kind of, I don't know, uh, implied shade on his his teammates but you you also see the positive of that i mean in, in the reaction that you saw from the team when they got that late goal just before the halftime whistle i mean erling holland was <laughs> he he was hanging on uh matt's homos he had his hands around his neck he wanted this win so badly and you know i don't care if it's the rest of the team for dortmund or the fact that you know they fired their coach and installed a caretaker. Like you just don't see a sense of urgency from this club in a lot of other ways. Yeah, and I and I, I wonder whether that's a kind of a leadership thing on on some level because you kind of look at it and you. I mean, there was a discussion about about Michael Royce um, this weekend after he sort of you know looked annoyed and and a bit kind of yeah for sure like he had his head down after going off and and you got a lot of stick for that in the in the tabloid press here and I think also about about. Hummels, you know, I mean, his, there was the same thing at the 2018 World Cup where, you know, he 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 leads by example on the pitch for sure, going forward and going back, and and you can't fault him on that front. And then when he comes off, he gives these interviews where he speaks really frankly, and and it's great for the journalists. And you know, he gives these really great quotes where he says, "We're not good enough, and we need to buck up our ideas, and this isn't uh, this isn't okay." and Etc. Etc. And it, it all sounds very much like he's a kind of you know no nonsense leader, but that doesn't seem to translate into people following him. Do you know what I mean? That it didn't. It didn't in 2018 and with Germany, and it and it doesn't seem to with Dortmund. And you wonder whether you know if you're a Dortmund player who who I don't know. Let's let's say a, a Torben Hazard or or somebody like that who's who's kind of in and out of the first team and and is potentially a player who can be sort of made better than he is if, if the if the atmosphere is right but is also a player who can maybe drift into the shadows if the atmosphere is wrong um you know if you've got Hummels is not doing what he what he could do as a, as a leader in the dressing room and then he's going and, and kind of throwing you under a bus whenever he goes on tv that's not going to make you feel good and if he's doing that you know every time you lose then I mean I'm not saying that's the case I don't I don't know the ins and outs of the Dortmund dressing room but it, you just don't get the feeling that there's a player there who who is really pulling the side together off the field as well as giving an example on it because there are plenty who do that with you know with Hummels and with Haaland and uh, you know to a certain extent players like Sancho and Emre Can and, and people like that but you just feel that there's not that kind of leadership whether it's a group or whether it's an individual or whether it's the manager or the assistant coach even who just kind of yeah keeps keeps the direction and the and the the drive going in terms of atmosphere and in terms of mentality and that's the that appears to be what they've been missing for the last two or three years. And, and it's, it seems funny that they haven't remedied it in some way because, you know, it's not impossible to create that or, or, or nurture that over, over the course of a few seasons. Yeah, and it seems like a, a, a sort of an unwillingness to invest in either players, coaches, whatever, <laughs> who have that sort of obsession uh, has, has really set them back. I, it's it's going to be very interesting to see uh, who sticks around and also interesting to see who sort of thrives or, or blooms under Marco Rosa. Sorry for the, <laughs> for the floral pun there. But, you know, it, it'll definitely be a big season for Dortmund coming up in, in the old 
Europa League. <laughs> All right, let's switch and let's talk about Eintracht Frankfurt because I, I really feel like this is definitely a game that could have gone the other way. Dortmund had a lot of the ball in fairly dangerous areas, just didn't manage to, um, you know, create the, the, the great chances that would have put them over the top. But you did get the sense that Eintracht were at least as up for it and by the end much more up for it. And I, you know, I, <laughs> I was watching, it was the Saturday morning here, time zone wise. That's, that's how it turns out for me. I was watching out in my, my garage gym. Thanks, COVID. And I was just so happy for them to get that late goal and to sort of push Dortmund off a little bit more and, and establish that seven point gap uh, between fourth and fifth. Cause I really feel like they are Champions League bound now. And, and I feel like this is going to be a, re- a really interesting upcoming season for them as well. Not only with, with them heading into, you know, terra incognita of, of the Champions League, but doing it most likely without the architect of, of what's happened there in Freddie Bobic. Yeah, what I was about to say, I think it's I think it's perfect timing in that respect, isn't it? That you know you you make that next step, and he's able to kind of leave the club in a position where you know there's a launch pad to to you know uh, to move on and, and create something new and to build on what he's what he's built up, rather than just kind of trying to keep that keep that level going. And obviously that the ability to kind of attract players, which I think Frankfurt have built up over the last few years anyway, with the way they've kind of had good cup runs and, and won the cup and, and generally been a club where you'd think from a player's point of view, you'd look at them and you think they may not pay me as much as Dortmund, but it might be more fun to play for this club. Do you know what I mean, that's going to be even more so, you know, once they're in the Champions League. Um, and I think, yeah, I mean, you're right. I was, I felt exactly the same. And I think anyone who isn't a Dortmund fan would have felt exactly the same when Silver's goal went in. That it's just, it's really great. They're able to land that blow and, and give themselves that cushion so that, you know, we don't end up in a situation, in, or we might still, but but if we end up in a situation in seven games' time where, where Dortmund still nick fourth place, they'll have really earned it. They'll have really bucked up their ideas where you were, you felt if, if Dortmund had won that game or drawn that game, there would still be a chance of them kind of somehow fluking it into the top four because, you know, Frankfurt got spooked in the last few weeks. And that would have been a shame because it wouldn't have been good for Dortmund, I don't think, long term, and it wouldn't have necessarily, it certainly wouldn't have been good for Frankfurt. So... Yeah, I, I I also think I mean there's something about that that game and the way that that Frankfurt was so kind of clinical and 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 unpanicked by the whole situation really and and the, the situations in the game but also the overall situation that that kind of shows the difference you know Frankfurt have less spending power than Dortmund they have less quality in their squad but they have that sort of magic ingredient that that good and particularly good overachieving teams have that something clicks there and some kind of collective awareness is there that that can deal with whatever situation is put in front of them and has the confidence to say no we can navigate this and we can we can come back and we can still grab a result and that's it's it's in many ways so nice to see because it kind of disproves the general and in some ways correct received wisdom that that money scores goals and that's the only you know the only logic to it actually when you have a well-built team which has a bit less quality and a bit less money it does tend to be a team with you know that's poorly built but with better players and, and, and having spent more cash yeah i can i can think of other 
teams that that might apply to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just, I was just, you know, I was thinking maybe we can, you know, somehow turn this into a segue to another game. I don't know which game, but you know, perhaps there's another example in this weekend. We'll get there. <laughs> we will definitely get there. What I did want to talk about for a moment is, you know, we, we've already kind of talked about Dortmund and the, and the difficulties they might have. I mean, and. Are, are there particular players, uh, first off, with Dortmund, do you think are, are going to be gone uh, if they don't make Champions League football? Let's, let's sort of nail that down for a moment. Well, I mean, I think obviously you'd expect Holland and Sancho to go purely on the basis that they won't want to stay. And, and you know, particularly Sancho, he's they've held on to him for, for a fair amount of time. And, you know, I think they'll, they'll know that this is the moment to, to, to then go and cash in and, and maybe start a rebuilding process as well. I think that's the thing. You know, if they if they can sell both those players for a, for a good sum, then, you know, you've got the space and the the chance to, to say to Michael Walter, well, you know, look, here you are, build a team and create something rather than just kind of trying to tinker with the legacy of Favre and, and Tuchel and, and, you know, everyone since Klopp, basically. Which is kind of how they've how they've been run in the last five years, and I'll be interested to see who else goes. I mean, I, I hope players like Bellingham uh, stay because I still think the club offers that environment where you know a, a young, talented player can get that top level experience, even if it's just Europa League and not Champions League, week in, week out, and and that's invaluable for them, and it's also invaluable for the club. And I hope, I mean, I'd be interested to see which which of the kind of senior guys they they maybe ship off. I mean, I can't really see them ditching Royce even if he's kind of uh, not the the flavor of the month at the moment I, I think he's he's you know too embedded but I could maybe see them shifting out some other guys you know Burkey and and perhaps even someone like even someone like Hummels to be honest if they if they really feel that you know the the kind of value he he brings on the pitch doesn't really match the the leadership that he you know they might expect from him off the pitch and, and that maybe they're they're better off getting someone someone else in to kind of play that role I, I, I could see that happening and I quite like them to see them be brave in that respect I, I, you know I don't just I, I don't think they should just go okay we're going to lose Holland and Sacho and, and get in a few other good young players and then otherwise try and muddle on as we were I think you know it's a chance if they if they have a lot of cash coming in from transfers and they're out of the Champions League it's a chance to say okay where do we want to go how do we want to go there and you know let's try and build it rather than just kind of let's yeah plug the gaps Okay, let's switch and talk about the teams who are going to be in the Champions League. You know, I, I mentioned Eintracht, of course, because they beat Dortmund. But Wolfsburg were also winners on the weekend, and they are now looking pretty damn certain to be in the Champions League. They don't have an easy time of it over these last seven games, but, you know, failing a real epic epic letdown they are going to be in the champions league they beat cologne one nil not a very flashy performance but then again that's kind of uh, that's kind of what they do but looking at these two teams eintracht and wolfsburg i really do think that both of those teams boast some really high-end players some some players who i i think have not only grown as individuals but have, have grown in terms of you know, the way that they, they lead teams. I mean, I'm thinking specifically of, you know, whether it's Martin Hinteregger or, you know, um, you know, Andre Silva up front scoring as much as he does. That They've been players you can really count on. Valt Weichhorst, Maxi Arnold, John Brooks. So obviously the core for those two teams is really there. And I think that they do have at least lower end 
Champions League quality, if they want to get to that sort of mid to higher end Champions League quality, where do they need to invest? That's a, a good question. I wonder whether it's, you know, a little bit premature uh, in some ways, because I kind of feel, you know, I mean, mid to higher end Champions League quality in the long term is a different thing to, to you know, getting to the quarterfinals if you get a good luck in the draw and, and, you know, a bit of momentum behind you. And I think that's kind of more what what Frankfurt and Wolfsburg will be looking to do next season. And I kind of think the power of that is is not to be underestimated either. I mean, if you look at clubs like Leicester City, the fact that they, you know, they, they got in once, they took that chance. You know, they got, I think, to the last eight, beat, you know, a couple of big teams on, along the way. And that kind of cemented the idea of which had, you know, until that time not really been an idea, the idea that Leicester might be a, a, a kind of Champions League team or could be a Champions League team. And that, that I think that ability to shift perceptions hangs as much on, you know, one good run as it does when on kind of building up over time or, you know, getting certain players in or, or, or whatever. But I think, I think you hit the nail on the head when you're talking about players who have become top level, uh, particularly Frankfurt. And I think that's, that's what that club does very, very well is that they, they bring the best out of the, the players they bring to them. And I think it'll be very interesting to see what signings they make this summer and, and what they make of them. And they've already, on my patch announced announced they're signing Christopher Lentz this this summer and I think he's a, a good example of a player who right now is not Champions League level but definitely could be a decent Champions League player in the right environment you know within a couple of years and Frankfurt is probably the right environment and much as it it pains me to see him leave Union I can totally understand that move because it's a you know it's a chance for him to really get the the absolute you know best out of his talent that's yeah that's what how frankfurt have had success over the last few years and it's since i think probably what they'll continue to do and there are other players i mean you know they'll be high in the running i think to to, to sign marvin friedrich another union defender who's who's in a similar position of a similar age a guy on a kind of upward upward trajectory and i think that's that's what's so exciting about this team is that you really feel that it's a club with a direction it's a club who can get players in who you know don't make headlines but then they become much, much better than you than you thought they perhaps were. And they take the team to, to a level which, you know, is higher than you thought was possible. And that's cool. You know, football romanticism lives <laughs> in clubs like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Any worry in the back of your mind about the uh, somewhat cloudy future of Adi Hutto, whether he is interested in perhaps taking on a new challenge? I mean, he's done such a good job with this club. He's certainly, in, I, I think in most people's minds, overachieved getting them into the Champions League. It looks quite quite likely. That's naturally going to make him a target for clubs with more resources. Yeah, and I think I think it would be a blow for Frankfurt to lose both Bulbic and, and Hutto in one summer for sure. Although that said, I mean, I, I would say, you know, it's, it's not just those two of, who are responsible for it. I mean, you, you also got to look at people like Hübner and, and Hellmann, you know, the whole kind of setup there. It's a, as with any club like that, that's doing well, it's, you know, it's not usually one person. It's usually a kind of the fact that everybody is doing their job well and, and identifying good people to, to, to bring in. And so you kind of, you back Frankfurt to find good replacements as well. But yeah, he certainly seems to bring. Oh, uh, yeah, stability on in the dugout is is always, I think, a kind of uh, a necessity for for a club like that, particularly when they're when they're trying to progress. And and yeah, I think it would be a blow to to lose him. And it's yeah, I mean, as you say, Gladbach is is uh, is a is a big thing, and and you know, who knows, the Dortmund job might come up quicker than we expect it to. So. 
it's a possibility, and, and I, I, I would be wary as a Frank Schott fan, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You never know what jobs could open up, you know, even even the Bayern job, depending on what uh, Hansi decides to do about uh, DFB or, or the Leipzig job. If, if you know, Nagelsmann moves to Bayern, you know, could, a lot of things can happen between now and, and the beginning of next season or even partway through next season. So I I certainly hope he sticks around to sort of enjoy the fruits of his labor. But, you know. Life comes at you fast. All right, let's turn our attention to the game that I think is is the reason for the season. Uh, you know, it's tradition uh, on Talking Foosball for Kit and I to talk about uh, our two favorite football teams uh, when they whenever they play each other in the Berlin Derby. You know, this is the second year that we've had a top-flight Berlin Derby. So the tradition is new, but we're, we're trying to turn it into a thing, just, just as those two teams are. First off... This was a 1-1 result that did not exactly set off fireworks, unlike, unlike a group of fans at the, uh, the opening whistle. Uh, what was your, your initial take on the game? How did you feel about the result? I think it's a result that both teams can live with and, and neither team is, is especially happy with. I think when you're a happier with it than how so purely on the basis that they have less pressure from their position in the table. But I also feel... Union too will we'll go away from that game thinking that you know they they could definitely have won it and and with the run in they have it's another kind of missed chance after after a few missed chances against teams like Bielefeld and Schalke to to take three points where you can against equal or, or weaker opposition for Hertha I was quite surprised at how how much they seem to be content to take that point particularly in the second half and in the last kind of half hour of the game I, I really did expect them to to push forward a bit more and, and take their chances a bit more because the difference between three points and one point is is significant. And that game, despite Union playing playing a lot better in the second half than they did in the second part of the first half, it was still there for the taking for Hertha and to a certain extent. I mean, you know, with a bit more pressure and a bit more kind of, yeah, ambition. But I, I guess that's just the, the relegation fight and what it does to you that, that you, you you set out to protect what you've what you've got before you throw caution to the wind. So the second half suffered under that, and, and as you say, there weren't that many fireworks. The fireworks themselves, I was I was slightly confused as to why they appeared to be so controversial among among some quarters. Because I mean, okay, one of them was misfired, and 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 there was a small accident there, which is obviously not not very good, but. A, I mean, Oliver Runet said it after the game. This is, you know, totally understandable that after a year of not being able to go to games, fans are, are marking a, a big game like this in a in a way that's pretty kind of non non controversial. Really, setting off fireworks outside the stadium. I mean, come on, like who hasn't done that before? And it's also not the first time they've done it. They did it against Leverkusen. I was at the Leverkusen game in January, and they they did it for a couple of minutes at the start there. And so it's it's funny what you know what gets picked up and and what gets kind of made into a big thing sometimes. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think I think people's like you know sensitivity, if I can call it that, probably had something to do with it echoing uh, uh, the last. Berlin Derby that was at uh, the Autofosterei, which of course had fans at it and had some, you know, pretty pretty ugly scenes. Yeah, I didn't really think too much of it. It, it came, it went. Uh, I read later that there was a imbus on fire, but I, whatever. I, I'm sure. I'm sure a couple of fire extinguishers uh, took care of that. 
I will definitely say that from from my perspective of having come off the back of a pretty emphatic, if not dominant, win over Leverkusen, I was expecting a lot more from Hertha, and and I will freely admit that they were not worth three points on the day. I mean, I, I definitely think that to perform as they did and to get away with a point after basically just taking the second half off in terms of you know, attacking ambition. Just under the particular circumstances of playing away at a club that I think, for lots and lots of reasons, both, you know, here to uh, management, here to fans, I don't know if this perception is there with the players, but if they're looking at their paychecks, it ought to be there. This is a game that you should go out and try and win, at the very least, if not actually win. And I just didn't see that in this game. I, I was pretty pissed. Yeah, I mean, particularly as as, as Union were were kind of trying to win it, you know, and they they weren't really going hell for leather, but they were they were playing football. It wasn't it wasn't like they were kind of just shutting the game down in the second half either. And and so you kind of think, you know, with yeah, with the with the creative talent and the, and the the counter attacking talent they had to have, which they showed against Leverkusen, that that they were only been a little bit more kind of yeah bravery on that front. Yeah, and I, th- I in some ways I think it's it's. It's a bit of a shame for Union as well. I mean, you know, like I say, obviously had her in a much more serious situation. But again, when you look at you look at that run in and you look at it's a four point gap now and still is a four, four point gap rather between them and Leverkusen. That if that's two points with with Leverkusen as wobbly as they have been since Christmas, that's a different kettle of fish when you're looking at kind of a, a mad last minute bid to 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 maybe get that Europa League spot rather than rather than seventh. Than, than four points is when you're facing Bayern and Dortmund and Wolfsburg in the and Leipzig uh, in the last few weeks of the season. And so I kind of, in some ways, I, I feel like maybe Union could have been a bit braver as well in that in those you know last few minutes because they also had nothing to lose. But uh, yeah, that's that's I guess also about the quality of of or rather the the, the quality of Union and the kind of the, the nervousness around Hertha because Hertha probably do have more quality um, but they're just in under so much pressure that that yeah it's kind of difficult I guess in those in those moments to to really break out and, and just go for it yeah looking ahead we've we've sort of mentioned Union's run-in but let's let's look at it in a little bit more detail here we have Bayern Stuttgart Dortmund then Bremen, which is a, a bit bit easier in terms of caliber. Then you go back to some top-ish teams, Wolfsburg, Leverkusen, Leipzig. I know that you probably want to get into seventh or sixth or however high you can get, but it's not going to happen <laughs> with that run-in. <laughs> how, bad, how bad do you want to be in the Europa Conference? the Europa Conference League. Well, as, as a fan, really badly. And I think, you know, I think this is a a thing that, that generally I find annoying is this this kind of idea and, and Dennis Ogle said it on the on the T V yesterday as well that you know, maybe they, they don't really want to qualify on Yon because, you know, it's it's an extra extra thing to worry about in, in next season. It's only the third season in the league and maybe that, you know, kind of is the straw that breaks the camel's back and sends them plummeting down back into the relegation fight again. And maybe it's better for Union to just establish themselves and, and be happy with mid-table. And, you know, nobody's unhappy with mid-table at this stage. Everybody's still kind of, you know, pinching themselves at Union at the moment. But at the same time, why why, why this fear and, and cynicism towards the, 
Europa League and the Europa Conference League. I, I just I just don't understand it. Like the, the football is still entertainment, and and yes, financially it may be slightly more of a risk to to have an extra tournament, and and you know the, the pressure that puts on your league campaign, and therefore maybe puts you in slightly more danger of relegation. But it can also go the other way, as we've said that happened to Frankfurt. You know their their deep run in the Europa League opened up new doors for them and, and made them even more attractive and that success they're building on now. So, you know, it didn't plummet them straight back into into lower mid-table just because they had a few more games a week for, for one season. So I kind of feel it, it really annoys me that, that, that kind of just lack of sense of fun. You know, it's, it's cool to be in the European competition. That's, that's one thing that you're competing for when you're in a league and it's the, the biggest thing you can hope for if you're a club like Union really. So, you know, why why should you kind of go, oh, well, no, I, I, I don't want to be in that tournament because that might mean we finish 13th instead of ninth next season. <laughs> <laughs> How yeah. terrible would that be? Um, so, yeah, totally. I really want it badly. But like you say, I, it, it is unlikely uh, if for no other reason than, I mean, aside from the run-in, the three teams below Union, Stuttgart, Gladbach and Freiburg are, are all more than capable of overtaking them and, and probably all slightly better than at least Gladbach are and, and Freiburg and Stuttgart are, are kind of, you know, on the same level, if not better on a, on certain days. So, uh, yeah, it will take something. But that, that said, they've, they've been pretty hardy this season on Jorn and they've got results against those big teams and they've got nothing to lose. So, so why not, you know, why not defend that spot? And, you know, if Gladbach and Freiburg and Stuttgart keep dropping points every now and then, which they have done throughout the season, then then there's still a chance. But yeah, they remain underdogs and that's kind of where they want to be is, is you know, outsiders punching up their weight. Yeah, yeah, I, I would love to see them defy the odds, especially with that that tough run that they have, and you know maybe maybe a trip to uh, the third place finisher in Greece or the you know the League of Ireland champion that would be fun, <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, why not? That's, that's, that's great. It's you know it's only as boring as going to Mainz, uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> why not? Yeah, I rather like Mainz. Okay, well let's let's leave it right there, and we'll be back with part two. Here's part two of Talking Foosball, the part where we talk about the rest of the match day just gone. This was match day 27. You know, I thought maybe an interesting place to start was, um, you know, the team who is directly ahead of your boys, FC Union. That's Bayer Leverkusen. They were 2-1 winners over Schalke 04 uh, on the weekend. Hannes Wolf, newly installed Hannes Wolf at the helm of Leverkusen, shook things up. I think uh, changed changed six six players in his starting lineup compared to the the group that got beat against Hertha. Lucas Alario was back in up front. He got a goal starting in Schick's place. Got subbed on for Schick. Schick also got a goal. Everybody's happy. How do you look at this start for Hannes Wolf? This is, of course, the worst team in the league, <laughs> one of the worst teams ever in the league that he uh, got a win over. And his job is far from certain to be his uh, past past the end of the season. What what do you see the rest of this season holding for Leverkusen? Well, I think, I mean, it, it made a pretty clear statement, as you say, with those, with those changes that, you know... <laughs> His job is just to stabilize a ship that was that was had really strayed very far, of course, and was looking in, in quite deep trouble. And 
albeit a 2-1 win over, over Schalke is not the most inspiring win you'll, you'll ever get. There was something humorless about it, which after all the kind of very humorous ups and downs of, of a few years under Peter Bosch will probably have been welcome to Leverkusen fans and, and will at least, you'd think, allow them to cement that sixth spot with you know the clubs that are underneath them and, and with the quality they have. That's his job. Who knows, you know, whether he's really thinking this is a chance to kind of take over a top club and, and build something or, or whether it's it's really just a chance to profile himself by, by doing a good kind of firefighting job and then handing it over to somebody else come the summer. Either way, I don't think he's, he's the worst choice in that respect. And I think they probably will do it, which is kind of boring because, you know, it, it it could be fun that race for six then it could be you know it was looking particularly fun with Leverkusen <laughs> being a bit of a liability and I think now it might it might kind of peter out into into nothingness in the next few weeks but yeah hope not yeah Hannes Wolf got into top jobs uh, in, in a couple of tough places I think I mean he was certainly heralded as a, a bright young thing when he took over in, in Stuttgart and did you know did plenty well in the second division did less well, although not truthfully that badly in, in the top flight and then had some difficulties at Hamburg as well. But like, it always struck me that he's a guy who is really well respected on the sort of tactical slash, um, you know, actually dealing with people side of things within the team, within the club, but seems a little, I don't know, overwhelmed by a lot of the other stuff that goes along with with coaching especially at big clubs like Stuttgart and Hamburg and maybe maybe this is a good spot for him because Leverkusen <laughs> you know you don't have the same set of responsibilities uh, at a club like that I think it, it's possible it could be a good fit yeah I think I think he's one of those that you know I think it's always a sign when the when the DFB you know pick up a coach that who's who's had a bit of a kind of who's been spat out by the Bundesliga it's kind of a sign that that they're perhaps Slightly more than than their reputation after being spat out would would uh, would suggest, and yeah, I think he he, he has those qualities that yeah, for, uh, kind of a federation is looking for, and they're, they're kind of like yeah, you do the basics well, and you, you you're able to kind of yeah, do the people skills and the, the basic tactical things and deliver them, and that's what Leverkusen need now. And yeah, maybe maybe that's a good fit because you know he he can he can kind of reinvent himself as a club coach again, and and they can get a bit more. A bit more stability, but I think we'll see. I, I, I don't know. I, I feel like their heads would be turned if if they get a shot at a glamorous name in the in the summer. And it kind of depends on the market a little bit in that respect. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Although you know the, the, where they are now, which is you know sixth place, is not as glamorous as as top four as as we've as we've mentioned earlier in the podcast. Let's talk now about uh, Stuttgart. We just mentioned them in the the. the the context of Hannes Wolf. They, of course, now have their own uh, bright young thing at the touchline in, in Pellegrino Matarazzo. They are still on a pretty good trajectory. This 1-0 win over Werder Bremen, which, you know, came courtesy of uh, uh, an own goal from Lucas Augustinsson, who, you know, he'd seen so many crosses from Borna Sosa. <laughs> he just, you know, it, it's, it's tough not to turn one of them uh, into your own net, I guess. What do you make of of Stuttgart and their upward trajectory? I I have been pretty bullish on them all season once I saw how well organized they were and how many good young players they have. Am I right to think that 
as early as next season, they could be a genuine European competitor? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the club is big enough, right? And, and like you say, this, this team looks not just well-organized and talented, but, but, but kind of motivated. And, and, and you feel that there's a, there's a, a sense of optimism in, in the way they play and the way the group works. And I think, you know, they're, they're a good example of how, you know, even if you're a kind of incorrigible Traditionsverein, you know, with all the kind of cumbersome, and we've seen the off-field issues at Stuttgart even this season, all the, all the kind of baggage that comes with that, you can still, if you make the right decisions in footballing terms, quite quickly go through a rebuilding process if you put the right people in the right places and start, you know, building a team properly rather than in a piecemeal and, and, and populist way, the size of a club like that can, can propel it much faster up the, up the pyramid than, than would be the case for a, a smaller club. And so, yeah, I think there is reason for optimism. And I think uh, it's, it's kind of a nice tonic as well for after the amount of, you know, clubs like that we've seen going the other way, including Stuttgart themselves a couple of times over the last few years. It's nice to, to see that, yeah, uh, that can be kind of phoenixes rising from the ashes as well. Um, if people just, you know, get their get their things together, shall I say, and start doing a good job rather than, <laughs> than just, you know, it's not rocket science when you when you you look at it, you know. <laughs> All right. Speaking speaking of of you know Traditionsvereine who who you know are starting to get their things together even when we thought that maybe they they weren't after a really bad slide uh in the middle of the season Perusi mentioned Gladbach are starting to sort of maybe dig themselves out of the hole that they were in they are now of course level on points with Union and Stuttgart on on 39 they have you know just as good a chance as anybody to uh put up a bit of a fight against Leverkusen. They were 2-1 winners over uh, Freiburg at home in a, in a pretty even game on the weekend. They've got an interesting run-in, I think. They have Hertha winnable, Frankfurt less so, Hoffenheim winnable, Bielefeld winnable, Bayern, you know, maybe for them it's winnable. They've done it before. Then Stuttgart and Bremen. How do you like their chances of sneaking back into Europe now that maybe the sort of the boil of of uh, Rose's departure and the sort of you know weeks of hand wringing over it has been lanced? How do you how are you feeling about them in the last seven games of this season? Yeah, I think I think you're right. The boil, if the boil has been lanced and it appears it has, then then that run in is is not too bad. And and you look at the the teams around them in the table, you'd expect them to to be able to overtake Stuttgart and Union and, and stay ahead of Freiburg. I think for them, the question will be really also what Leverkusen do, because, you know, if Leverkusen do stabilise under Wolf, then it's going to be a tougher ask for Gladbach to to catch them. And, you know, if they if they continue to wobble, then then I'd definitely back Gladbach to, to sneak back into the top six and, and, and the Europa League spots. And because I think that from the quality they have and and also i think the organization and the 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 kind of baseline that they have in stability and with that team and with rosa and and how good they can be teams like that find it hard find it easier to kind of recalibrate if that makes sense and so you know once once they get a bit more momentum and and the the kind of hullabaloo dies down you see them hit form again, and 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 you see them start climbing again. So I, I'd back them, but I think it's 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 probably uh, 
sadly going to be a straight fight between between Leverkusen and Gladbach for sixth. Yeah, yeah, I think they have the inside track as well. Let's see. We've got a couple of more games to touch on. Probably don't need a ton of of attention. We will certainly turn our attention probably a bit more closely to the relegation fight when things get a little juicier in, in the last few weeks of the season. But Mites and Bielefeld, those are two teams who have sort of been, you know, um, leading players, let's just say, in the, uh, in the, in the drama of, of the, uh, the Abstiegskampf. They drew 1-1 on the weekend. That certainly is, is a little better for Mites than Bielefeld and that, you know, Mites are, have, have that two point advantage over, uh, Bielefeld and, uh, Cologne. It's real interesting to me that, uh, this weekend, Turned out to be as sort of I don't know uh, there there were no real winners in the uh, the relegation fight with Hertha, Mainz, Bielefeld all all picking up a single point, Cologne losing. How are you feeling about the likes of Mainz and Bielefeld? I mean, Mainz have certainly shown a lot of fight ever since Bo Svensson uh, showed up, but things are about to get a little trickier for them. Yeah, I think, I, I mean, you know, you say the result was better for Mainz, but I think actually the way it happened is quite a blow, to be honest, because if they'd, if they'd held on to that lead, then they would have daylight. And given the situation they were in, that would have been perhaps, the, you know, enough momentum to, to, to push them through. But as it is, that's a kind of a setback which keeps them really in the mire and if you if you get a bad result against against Köln and then another one against Hatter then then suddenly you're really back in it and and Bielefeld time and again this season have shown that they, they won't go away um I think in the end they probably will go down but I think they'll make it as difficult as they can for everybody else um before they do so and if if Mainz find themselves really back in the mire you know when they're facing Bayern Frankfurt, Dortmund, Wolfsburg uh, in the last four weeks of the season, then then that's potentially a problem. So yeah, that that equalizer from Fogelsammer, I think, I think actually could be one of those moments where you look back on it and think, wow, turning point. Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting that they have, you know, the the, the fixtures line up the way that they do. I mean, Bielefeld, Cologne, Hertha. I mean, those three, which they've now played one of those three, those are the ones that that you really need to either win or at the very least not lose uh, because the last four of Bayern, Frankfurt, Dortmund, and, and Wolfsburg, I don't have a lot of faith that they're going to come out of that with anywhere near full points. Okay, let's talk just for a moment about the uh, the last fixture of the weekend, and, and obviously chronologically it wasn't last, but I'm pretty sure it was last on most fans' minds. That is uh, FC Augsburg's 2-1 win over TSG Hoffenheim. Last podcast, we were asked about teams that we find most frustrating or boring to watch. Uh, Augsburg, I think, was on the tip of, of all three panelists' tongues. Obviously, they don't care about that. They just went out and, and got themselves the win that they needed to end absolutely all conversation about relegation. Do you have any explanations for Augsburg and how it is that they have not found themselves caught up in, in the same muck as as the teams we were just talking about? Yeah, I wonder whether it's 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 as much a kind of attitude and I mean I always end up coming up down to this argument but I think it, it does kind of make the difference a, a lot of the time in that 
they know how to do it. You know, they've done the same thing for 10 years. You know, that culture of, of just kind of rising above the fray and, and, and just grinding it out so that they end up 13th or 14th is, is just now so ingrained that it's, it's what they do and that's what they sign players to do and it's, you know, what they in, instill in their players and it's it's their success model. And, yeah, it's not the most entertaining um, unless you're an Augsburg fan. But that's kind of a more – it's a more comfortable situation to be in a, as a club like that, punching above your weight but with a kind of a tried and tested formula than as a club like, yeah – half nine Bremen Hauser, even Köln to a certain extent, where there is an underlying expectation of more and uh, or even an explicit expectation of more. And once you get into that that kind of swamp, the mental preparation for it, the mental kind of, you know, you're not necessarily weaponized in the same way as, as Augsburg are. And uh, I think that's, that's served them, you know, well time and again and, and again this season. It's, they've been dull, but they've done the job. Yeah, yeah. When you can, you know, drink that that glass of poison and and not turn green, like uh, like some of those clubs, those bigger clubs that you mentioned, it it is a certain kind of strength. All right, that's it for this edition of Talking Foosball, which was produced as always by Aiden Rantoul. Really great to have you back on, Kit. Thank you. Been a pleasure as always, Matt. Nice one. You can follow him on Twitter at Kit Holden. Real easy to spell. Just sound it out, folks. And me, Mr. Matt Herman. Same goes for that. Just don't forget the second N at the end. And don't forget to listen to Talking Foosball's historic Match Day Moments series and a host of other bonus material on our Patreon page, which, you know, we hope you'll consider supporting. It's a lot of extra content for just a few bucks or euro or quid or whatever. Extra special thanks to Asbjorn Sleitemark and Zach Krogman for their support at the Meister level. Thank you, fellows. If you want to contact us, do hit us up at Talking Football on Twitter. Do subscribe to the pod. Rate us positively, of course. Tell your friends. Just some next and Molly. 